I invite you to join with me now in saying the words for the lighting of the chalice that are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. A Zen Parable. A monk was being pursued by a ferocious tiger when he came to the edge of a cliff. He quickly glanced back and saw the tiger about to spring. The monk spotted a vine dangling over the edge of the cliff. He grabbed it and began shinning down the side of the cliff out of the clutches of the tiger. He looked down and he saw a quarry of jagged rocks. And then he looked up and noticed that two mice were gnawing on the vine he was hanging from. <laughs> Growing out of the face of the cliff, he saw a beautiful, ripe, red strawberry within arm's reach. He picked it up and enjoyed its delicious taste. If you told me a year ago that spiritual direction would completely open up my spiritual life, and that based on my experience with it, I would begin a training program to become a spiritual director, I would have laughed at you. But it's true. This past year, through spiritual direction, I grappled with a really tough professional year where nothing seemed to work out as I'd hoped. In the course of the year, I learned a lot about control, how I try to get it, how I try to use it, and what happens when that illusion of control starts to fall apart. I also opened up a new facet of faith in my life, but more about that in a minute. As you heard, spiritual direction is one of the key components of the Wellspring program. As participants, we'd agreed to find a spiritual director and meet with him or her monthly for the duration of the program. I have to note that spiritual direction is a absolutely terrible name. No one in spiritual direction is going to tell you what to think, what to believe, or how to understand or relate to spirit in your life. Really, I'm seeing a former Jesuit monk for spiritual direction, and he's not telling me what to think. And if the Catholic monks aren't telling you what to think, chances are pretty good no one else is either. <laughs> what, what spiritual direction is, is it's the, it's the art of helping and supporting someone in discerning how God, spirit, or love is moving in, with, and through their lives what their spiritual direction is. In truth, this type of discernment can happen in lots of places, but what makes spiritual direction unique is that it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship that's committed to creating the space for you to listen to and better hear that soft, quiet voice of spirit in your heart, in your soul, and in your life. In my life, the voice of spirit shows up in many places. But as it turns out, it was my professional life that contained the most fertile soil for growing my spirit this year. I'm an executive director of a nonprofit organization, and that means that the bulk of my job is fundraising. And this was one of the worst fundraising years I've ever experienced. Fundraising failure turns out to be one of the more unique existential challenges you can face. As the rejections from prospective funders piled up, I felt ever more torn up and exhausted. 
I had a great fundraising team, but our efforts just weren't working. Like most guys I know, my response to failure was to hit the problematic object in question with an ever bigger hammer, working harder, faster, better, striving for control. But when you do everything that you can and it still doesn't work, what's left? I took this quandary into spiritual direction at one point saying something like, I'm just trying to get my arms around this so I can figure it out. And David, my spiritual director, said, well, that's an interesting metaphor. I smiled, nodded, tried to stall for time. I use that language all the time. I get my arms around things, I get my head around things so that I can hold on to them and make them do what I want them to do. It was so clearly a deeply ingrained control metaphor that I couldn't help but laugh even while I was squirming inside. So I looked at David. So how do you hold something without holding on to it? In reply, David shared an image with me. Imagine that you're holding a butterfly in your cupped hands, barely even holding it as much as just having the intention that it can rest there for as long as it wants to. I heard this and my body relaxed. My chest softened, my shoulders released the tension that I hadn't even realized I was carrying. It wasn't that his image blew my mind as much as it gave me a reframe, a, a different way of being in relationship with my question. It created a little more spaciousness and ability to move. Hold a butterfly? I could do that. Or at least I could try. And I did try, but holding butterflies just doesn't work well with a dull ache of fear and uncertainty about a job, a livelihood, a mortgage. And so it came out in a quiet tantrum in David's office, me saying something along the lines of, how do I move this forward without controlling it? How do I hold it? I know what control feels like. I'm getting a feeling for that energy, but that's not working. So then what's the opposite? What's the opposite of control? David didn't say anything. My mind conjured up images of disorganization, anarchy. And then my heart answered. The opposite of control is faith, isn't it? The opposite of control is faith. That's what faith is. Now, this is a new vista for me, feeling in here, in my heart, in my body, what faith feels like. I've been holding those butterflies with my mind. I'm getting a feeling for holding them in faith with my heart. There's a growing spaciousness in my life where I can see that my purpose informs my work, but it's larger than my job. And in truth, I don't know where this is going, but I am deeply grateful for the spiritual direction that led me here. Now we invite you into a meditative exercise we've named Strawberries as Spiritual Practice. During the musical offering in a moment, Wellspring members will distribute strawberries for a strawberry meditation, a communion of sorts between you and a strawberry. As strawberries are passed down the pews, please just take one and wait, just holding it without tasting it as the fruit makes its way around to everyone. And if you can't or don't want to eat a strawberry, you can imagine taking a morsel of your favorite food and just pass the plate along. Feel free to adjust the experience however you need to to make it work. 
The strawberry meditation is based on the Zen parable that Denise read earlier. Consider its relevance in your life. Are you like the monk, desperate to escape the tiger on your trail? Are you clinging to a vine for dear life hanging on in midair? Aren't we all, in some sense, caught between a tiger on the clifftop and a pile of jagged rocks below? And yet, the strawberry, right there, with an easy reach, miraculously sprouting from the face of the cliff. Imagine as you take a berry from the plate that you are plucking it from the cliffside. And as you wait, holding that berry, take a, t a moment to breathe in its scent and to listen. During the musical offering, hold the strawberry in your hand, listen to your breath, listen to the sounds of us together here in the sanctuary, listen to the words of the song, listen to the strawberry. When I was a boy each week On Sunday we would go to church And pay attention to the priest As he would read the holy word And consecrate the holy bread Everyone would kneel and bow Today the only difference is Everything is holy now Everything Everything, everything is holy now Everything is holy now It used to be a world half there A heaven second rate hand me down But I walk it with a reverent air Cause everything is holy Purely private spirituality leads to a shriveling of the self. Reverend Richard Gilbert. Sunlight is said to be the best of disinfectants. Justice Louis D. Brandeis. Developing a regular spiritual practice over the past nine months has become important to me. But sharing that spiritual practice and reflecting out loud about the important spiritual questions has brought my spiritual life a new clarity and a new foundation. It's been the difference between thinking something privately and saying it out loud with all the consequences that simple act entails. When we first started meeting as a group, one explicit instruction about our group process was that we be, in Parker Palmer's phrase, alone together 
that's required that we speak our truth, and instead of others providing commentary or solutions, the whole group, including the speaker, would listen deeply to what is being said and allow it to affect him or her. My spiritual director once explained to me that the main task when wrestling with spiritual questions is discernment. That process of being alone together seems very wise to me because it encourages discernment, that quiet or not so quiet arising of clarity, of fruitful confusion, or of new questions that lead further down the discernment path. Sometimes listening to others speak in the group was, for me, like looking into a new type of mirror that showed me the back of my head or the side of my face instead of that familiar viewpoint of face forward. Even more surprising were those times when hearing myself speak did the same thing. Hearing or saying something unflinchingly out loud that had previously been kept inside can really give you a more rounded perspective of yourself. I had an experience of saying something out loud in the group that ended up salvaging my faltering individual spiritual practice. For most of my time in Wellspring, my spiritual practice was mindfulness meditation. I decided to make meditation my individual spiritual practice for a number of reasons. I hoped it would help me be more present in my daily life and give me more emotional balance. And I liked the idea of joining in a spiritual practice that had thousands of years behind it. But there was another reason that I started meditating that I was only partially aware of at the beginning. To understand what I'm talking about, I should first tell you that I have a serious illness, ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And it turns out that my barely acknowledged hope at that time was that meditating would also help my ALS maybe slow it down, or even arrest it. Well, about halfway through the Wellspring experience, I started having more difficulty breathing, you know, which turned out to be related to progressive weakness of my diaphragm. I couldn't take as deep a breath as I used to, which affected me in a number of ways, including, ironically, my meditation practice. After tests confirmed what I already knew, that my lung function was much worse. I was profoundly disappointed, to say the least. And slowly, the frequency of my meditation practice declined. But for a while, I pretended to myself that nothing had changed. It was the discipline of reporting to my group how my spiritual practice was going that made me realize I was kidding myself. And furthermore, that I was actually mad at meditation because it didn't do one of the things I hoped it would do. Saying that out loud, inside my supportive circle of trust, made a tremendous difference. And I know that I, with my anger and my sadness, was held and heard by that group. And that made it something I could more easily hold myself. I didn't really need any suggestions or guidance, however caring I know they would have been. All I really needed were some witnesses, some sunshine. Sometimes I was a witness for myself. I would say something in the group and later, at home, rehearing myself saying it made me realize I really meant something else. For example, one week, our discussion topic was death. And during that discussion, I expressed my disagreement with one of the readings for that week, saying I didn't think it was possible 
to die without unfinished business. About a day later, remembering what I'd said, I realized that I really meant I don't think I can die without an unfinished business, which is a very different thing. That's discernment. I think what we did in that group was seek the truth in love. I've come to love these people in my group. I reached a point a number of years ago where I was no longer uncomfortable using God language, and I decided at that time that there's one statement in the Bible that I would start to take literally, namely 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. With that understanding of God, I would say that God was with us, and experiencing God in that way has altered my own spirituality in a deep and satisfying way. It's much harder, perhaps impossible, to do anything like that alone. The Summer Day by Mary Oliver. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious We'd like to bring this worship service to a close the same way we ended each Wellspring session. Our sessions ended with the question, so what? The so what's were our newly discovered and articulated truths. The spiritual essayist Kathleen Norris 
explains the word conversion from the Latin meaning to turn around. It's when our situation stays the same, but our perspective changes. For the monk on the cliff, the moment of conversion came when he was able to look beyond his fear and turn his head towards beauty. Conversion defined this way is not a once-in-a-lifetime experience, but rather a continual process of turning more fully towards the truth. We would like to share some, mom share some of the moments of conversion from Wellspring, some of our so-whats. Ginny and I will read them, but know these are reflections from our entire Wellspring group. The Voices of Wellspring. It is essential to give people space to live their own life and to bear loving witness to their experience. Unitarian Universalism is not an alternative to religion, but is a rich religious tradition in its own right, and I don't have to look outside my tradition for depth. I love my family dearly, and being with them often makes my heart feel full. But my experiences in Wellspring gently required the admission that being with others usually doesn't fill me spiritually. Being in nature, being alone, being quiet, those are spiritual practices that work for me. Discussing death, my death is scary. But it feels essential that I have a conversation with my daughter about possible unfinished business. How I start each day matters more than I can fully know, and so it will always be my practice. Rearranging the order so I am starting with what matters most spiritually, and then moving outward to the external pressures and joys. Spiritual action must begin with acceptance of ourselves with all our flaws and gifts. I must trust in my inherent worth even if I don't feel worthy. The deep work of the spirit is full of laughter, irreverence, and tears. The spirit needs to celebrate. I want to live deeply in the mystery without trying to figure it out. Being present to each moment is the most radically, radically spiritual act of each day. I am called to use my awareness, my gifts, and my presence to bring more love and compassion to myself and others. One of my colleagues was bitter about not getting a promotion she thought she deserved, and I saw that her response to that event had a spiritual aspect to it. For all of us, responding to disappointment is part of our inner life and a spiritual challenge. The cultivation of my own soul is a tender, serious, and joyful endeavor worthy of my time and attention. So, what has become clear? And so what? How do we take our inner work into the outer world? We remember that church is not Sunday morning. Church is what Sunday morning points us toward, where love is calling us next. And it encourages us to take this journey as our authentic, 
whole selves, our best selves, in truth and in love. Let me invite you to join hands with one another to put a hand on a shoulder to feel connected in the ways that we are, whether we are here or not. May the love of this community be with us. May it strengthen us in our days and in our hearts. And may we constantly ask ourselves the questions, so what? What will we do with our one wild and precious life? May it be so, and amen.